Welcome to another episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. Welcome to the 50th episode of Unpacking Neuroqueerness. I have a special guest today. I've been trying to get this guest on for a while. He's very hard to, to you know, get on the podcast, but I have him here with us today. My father, George F. Gund, also known as Crunchy by our family um, and close friends. Um, So I have a few questions for my dad today. Uh, So, dad, I wanted to ask um, my dad. He has uh, just a little background. He has, uh, just a few years ago, in his late 40s, he got his diagnosis for ADHD, um, hyperactive ADHD, and so I'm going to ask him a few questions um, about his experience, like, being neurodistinct through life. So, Dad, um, you're, tell me a little bit about your early life, when you started noticing that you were different, and what kind of differences you noticed in yourself. Hmm. Well, thanks uh, again for having me on, or I guess not again for the first yeah, time. Sure. I appreciate mm-hmm. it. Sorry well, it took you so long. It's okay. To I take the. Uh, I like to like put that little <laughs> joke in there. Yeah. <laughs> to, um, anyhow, yeah, I guess um, I always attributed it to some other stuff. I had some. Uh, accidents when mm-hmm. I was a little kid um, and uh, I kind of felt like because of that I uh, didn't quite do things at the same pace as other kids um, it wasn't radically different like uh, nothing um, well it was interesting I did actually when I was nine years old we moved to Idaho and uh, they put me in a special needs class mm. um, for like a month or for a couple for a couple of months, not for very long. And then I was actually put into the gifted program by the end of the year. So that was nice. But it was I, it took me I think it was more a question of the quality of the educational systems at that time yeah. between the two places. Um, there were some things that were being taught. Uh, at the uh, elementary school that I had moved to that were, um, you know, that I just hadn't learned. Mm. Um, yeah. So it wasn't so much behavioral. Behavioral stuff came up more as I was an adolescent. Um, uh, I don't know if that was uh, specifically related to neurodivergence. Now I'm, now I'm, I'm more and more convinced it was. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, sort of a way of trying to deal with uh, just, you know, growing up in a more neurotypically biased society. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Now we have, we're, we're suddenly much louder because the, the heat is Yeah, the out. heat just went off. Um, so, the, to be fair, my parents were very open to neurodivergence. Uh, yeah. My father was absolutely... I think he was neurodivergent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's 10 years yeah. after he's, he's passed, we're, we're now diagnosing him, yeah. him as neurodivergent. And I think pretty much anyone Would. who spent yeah. time with him... Uh, you know, yeah, he, over his seven and a half decades would have come to that conclusion at some point. 
But uh, well, it's interesting, actually. It's a little uh, dark, but his mother, his mother, uh, you know, passed away of cancer when he was relatively young. He, he was 15. She, she got sick when he was seven. And so um, it was a long process. And he would say, you know, there are now all these different, this was even when I was pretty young in the 1970s, there are these new treatments out and new, you know, drugs and, and radiation and everything. And she probably would have lived a lot longer and better um, had that yeah. happened now. And I see that a lot. It's, it's um, you know, there are things we know now. Uh, and this crosses all spectrums of life, yeah. you know, like in politics and, and in science, there are just things that are so obvious to us now that we really didn't understand. Um, neurodivergence is one of them. And I think part of it is that we've become a, a much more cerebral society in the last probably 30 to 40 years, 50 years. Um, we don't need to use our hands as much. We don't need to use our bodies. Um, we need to use our minds. Um, yeah. And there's also an awful lot of stimuli out there and a lot of, um, you know, uh, we don't, we, we, when we go to do physical exercise, you know, we warm up and we mm -hmm. don't just like walk into a gym and grab 500 pounds. Yeah. And uh, I've been noticing just recently with social media, um, mm -hmm. that I will get hit with 500 pounds of information. Mm, um, it's true. Just this last week, uh, two people very close to me in age, um, just slightly older, died from, uh. from health issues. One was very sudden, one was a year-long process. Mm -hmm. So, um, so these are, these are, you know, very trying things to process. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I put that out there because, um, when I was younger, I felt like there was much more, uh, physical, I would see people who were, who were going through cancer treatments, for example, that had had, uh, you know, a, a, an eye or, uh, an ear, um, removed. And you don't see that as much anymore. Um, uh -huh. But there are a lot of people who have serious emotional or mental um, trauma. Trauma yeah. and, and I want to say wounds. Wounds. Really. Yeah, uh, I mean, there are. There are wounds, essentially. So, um, and you don't see that on people when you look at them. You know, when you see someone who has it's true. lost an eye or an arm. Yes. It's very clear that yes, they've suffered something, you know, physical and probably emotional. Yeah. When you're just in society, it's very hard to see that. So, um, really hard to see if it's, um, you know, something that's going on inside the brain, but the person, not only is it like not visible, but you can't, the person might be masking it as well and not be comfortable Anyways, um, yeah, for yeah, sure. it's, there's a, so as far as masking goes, I'll say this, like, uh, I probably masked a little bit more as a young kid, um, in trying to 
um, get along with people and hang out with people and, and you know, regulate. Um, I'd say one of the reasons I never looked at, uh, I mean, like, I always felt like I physically had a lot of energy, maybe too much. And I think mm-hmm. that's characteristic now. That's oh, kind well, of like hyperactivity. That's hyperactivity. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. that's that. Yeah. Yeah. See, exactly. Well, this now, is the, I mean, no, this is a perfect example of it. Is because like fifty years ago, forty-five years ago, even thirty years ago, uh, when you were a child, a lot of these things—it's not that we were like against them. No, like, they oh, weren't. We talk about that. this kind it's of just, information. It, it, and, it wasn't. And it, it wasn't. It's not just that the information wasn't there. It wasn't. It just wasn't so like tip of the tongue. You know, no, it wasn't so accessible. Not. It was not accessible. To us. No. And 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 because of that, mm. people weren't as open to it. Of course, yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, there was um, not a lot of like uh, uh, awareness about. I mean. There was just, it was just sort of like, oh yeah, the kids got a lot of energy, you know, whatever, yeah. give them something to do. Yeah, it's like, you know, snow. and that's kind of, I mean, on one hand, it's, it's like, it seems very dismissive and oh, let's just like, you mm-hmm. know, sweep this under the rug. On the other hand, it's like, let's find a practical solution so that we can all kind of move forward with our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like there was a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the flip side to this, like, you know, mm-hmm. trudging 50 miles through the snow, yeah. whatever BS old people say. <laughs> I, mean, I, I always thought it was a funny line, and I, I won't say what we were doing, but I remember that we did that in New York. Yes, uh, we had to trudge but, through actual yeah. snow. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's usually 10 miles, like I had to go to school. Mm-hmm. 10 miles sometimes it's uphill both ways but yeah. some some chore but it's interesting that it's a physical chore you know that we had mm-hmm. to like you know yeah so i just like remember something. because you know you would joke about that like that line sometimes and then i remember when we actually had to do it we were going to a store um in new york yeah. in new york and it was like three blocks from where we were staying and it, it literally, there was a snowstorm, like it had just storm, um, snowed like six inches or more than that. I think close to a foot uh, that day. It was like significant and we had to walk through the snow to get there. Yes. So, yeah. yes. so to, um, I guess, still answer your question, um, it wasn't so much... Like when you're when you're in a, a a period of like when I was a, a kid, I'd say up until I was like in, you know a teenager, twelve, thirteen, um, I just didn't quite. I think I just had too much energy for mm-hmm. me to too many synapses synapses firing, too many uh, too much Wonders. information to process yeah. and. Um, interestingly enough, in my case, and I wouldn't recommend this to everybody, but I found that, um, when I started using, when I first used marijuana, um, and, and I actually first used it, uh, um, when I was like, uh, I think I was like 12, almost 13. And I, and I like took a really quick inhale and blew uh-huh. it out. Um, yeah. And I like didn't really feel anything, but I kind of like told all my friends did mm-hmm. I did and and it wasn't until like a year later that I was sitting in this I, I went to this park where I used to play as a kid and there was a friend of mine 
um, who was named Chris because I knew like 50 Chris's mm-hmm. when I was a kid, so that'll give him some anonymity. But Chris, so, and there are actually two Chris's. I was sitting with two Chris's, and one of them's like, you've got to hold it in, like swallow, mm-hmm. inhale, inhale, inhale. And all of the telltales, like I, my eyes were red, I had the munchies, dry mouth, like everything I had read about in comics and like, uh-huh. you know, those like sinister yeah. drugs ads. Yeah, uh-huh. And, and... Um, it just like kind of reset my speed. I don't know what to, I can't, I'm trying to think of like all these like VHS tracking. Maybe if you have like, let's say the brightness on your monitor, yeah. or the brightness uh-huh. on, your, on phone your phone yeah. is too bright or too dim. Mm-hmm. This gave me an adjustment so that I kind of felt, and it's interesting because yeah. I remember mm-hmm. my dad, we were sitting in the car one day and he's like, your posture is better. You seem mm-hmm. like you're, you know, you're taking more, <laughs> he said it in a way, he's like, you're taking more time in your, in your clothing choices or oh something. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> it wasn't very judgmental, but it was clear that no, he was like saying, you know, very you're grandpa like way. putting more yeah. effort into your appearance. Oh my God, yeah. And, um, and I couldn't say, well, you know, I've been smoking weed, Dad. So no, I know. A lot, but, oh um... And it actually ended up getting me in a lot of trouble because, and it's funny because I, uh, I had huge conflicts with uh, society to a degree, but also with my parents over my usage of mm. marijuana and other drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was something I didn't want to give up. And it's interesting because now, years later, I'm like, why the hell didn't I just like give it a rest for a couple of years? You know, and let everything like s- slow down, you know, or or, or smooth out. And um, I think at the time I felt like I had found something that really sort of helped me navigate the world better. Would you say it um, kind of helped with like the, the hyperactivity or like certain parts of... Absolutely. I would yeah. say, again, I'm like... Uh, so when we used to use record players, mm-hmm. when we would trudge 10 miles through the snow to listen to music, uh, you know, you could have, you had usually two speeds. There was 45 and 33 revolutions per minute. And if you, you know, put a 33 speed mm. on 45, it sounded like that would be like the mm. chipmunk. Really mm-hmm. Or if you did something that was supposed to be 45 and 33 revolutions, uh, uh-huh. it would be off. So that's what I felt like. Yeah. And, you know, marijuana kind of, like, it, it increased or decreased the yeah, revolutions accordingly uh-huh. can, yeah. to, to um, and, and, and it overdid it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, suddenly I was like, you know, the, the bell of the yeah. ball or anything. It just helped immensely. Yeah, and conversely, because of the social stigma at that time, um, it it and 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 my mom to her to you know my mom uh, struggled with alcoholism. Her yeah. mother struggled with alcoholism. She was deathly afraid that we were going to struggle with alcoholism, mm-hmm. and and wanted to make an effort to avoid that in the way she could. Um, so uh, it wasn't. Um, it was just like we locked heads on that and. Mm-hmm. I kind of lost, mm. <laughs> but I also, um, so, uh, I moved, you know, I went to a facility for a while I went yeah. to a rehab mm-hmm. and it was interesting because on one hand it, it really sucked that I couldn't, uh, I had been enjoying using weed yeah. and I couldn't 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was also, it was a boarding school, basically. And everyone there had drug problems and no one could smoke mm-hmm. weed. So that was an interesting boarding school. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about our feelings a lot. We, yeah. we, uh, I learned meditation techniques that I still use to this mm, day. And I did sort of, uh, I learned that my family was neurotypical, <laughs> neurodivergent. Mm. Neurodivergent, uh, and, and yeah. Like socially uh-huh. divergent. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that... You know, um, seeing like everybody else do a daily routine that I simply and and in the mm-hmm. context of these people being in this place, usually because in the, in in most cases they had been sent there by the courts. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the mm-hmm. it was the alternative to going to jail. To jail, yeah. Um, in a couple cases like mine, I was very I was fifteen. I was I think the youngest kid there. Uh, there were some kids who were twenty. Some people who were like in their early twenties. They were obviously like. Uh, one guy who had been shot, you know, wow. other people who just That's... wanted to get out of that life. Mm-hmm. And that kind of was a, and this is a recurring theme on another, uh, uh, you know, plane that I've dealt with is I've been in situations like that where this was like the worst to me. I was at the time I was super upset about it and I was the victim and I was really angry. But even then I could see there were people who had struggled greatly to get where I was, you know, who mm-hmm. wanted that. They wanted to be in there. Uh, they wanted the, the uh, they wanted to be healed from something that I didn't think was a problem. Mm, so it, 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 it kind of, um, it tempered my perspective a little bit, seeing that there were people who, you know, and I didn't want to get into a situation where someday I might want to be like, you know, desperate to check myself into a place because I can't trust myself in society. Mm. Um, but this was all much more looking at drug use and not, not, not neurodivergence in and of itself. Well, yeah, I think there was a relation though, like clearly because you know how you were talking about how smoking weed was a way of regulating your. Uh, hyperactivity so yes but I mean on a on couple first of all I, I uh, at the time there were um, it wasn't I, I mean I had been I had seen people and nobody had said you know he should take things for hyperactivity or like mm-hmm. he's got hyperactivity yeah I mean they probably wouldn't have noticed um, at that time yeah and definitely it wasn't, um, the drug use thing was seen as a very different, yeah. that was more of I a mean, behavioral because, uh, yeah. issue. Because they see it, I mean, I feel like when it comes to neurodivergence and like behaviors that neurodivergence engage in, like because of stuff like sensory overload or hyperactivity, it's... Amongst neurotypical society, I think, especially back then, it's always viewed as just the behavior. And the focus is on the behavior. And, like, I feel like nowadays there's finally starting to be more discussion of what's behind the behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that um, maybe, you know, it would have been different. I mean today but like I can definitely see how it would have been you know they wouldn't have 
thought much about it. They would have just placed it solely on the behavior. Um, so yeah, I can, I can definitely, um, relate to that. Uh, so the next question that I have for you is, um, what, okay, now this is more related to my, um, to me a little bit. Okay. How, uh, what was it like, what were your experiences raising a neurodistinct child in a highly ableist society? Okay, uh, at the time, nobody would have known what you meant if you said it was yes, highly Yes, of course, society, yes. Keeping that Unfortunately, context. yes. Um, mm. But, uh, it, it, and, and the point to that is that the most frustrating thing is that it was very difficult to find a suitable um, label. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem because... It would have it would have helped us to indicate which path to take. Um, so we were obviously I was I was we were both very young, um, which in and of itself doesn't necessarily like mean too much, mm-hmm. um, because we had a, a you know a good social structure, uh, and I think it was my grandfather Irving who was like you know. I've noticed uh, Gino isn't like move like walking yet, and some of his movements are, are a little different. So maybe he sh- you should see this person. And we saw a doctor who recommended uh, someone else. We saw a neuro- We saw a lot of people. Mm. We saw a lot of specialists. Um, most of them were one time uh, neurologists. The craniofacial anomalies. Uh, unit at UCSF was, was pretty rough. Um, and again, these were, so when we went there, we saw people who had, as the name implies, craniofacial anomalies, a lot of um, cleft lips um, and, and other things, um, mm-hmm. which was rough. And, and, um, and it, again, put perspective. I mean, you were a very, you know, you, you were healthy, um, you were very cute, uh, and we had a lot of fun with you, and you were easy, you know, I mean, um, uh, but your movement was limited, and, and when you started walking, you would pronate, and mm-hmm. so we were looking more, we had thought you might have some, some cerebral palsy or something like that, um, but what was interesting is, I met, so we went for years to a uh, a place in uh, in the uh, sunset. It was um, studio granite bean bag. We called mm-hmm. it. I remember. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Uh, she had these bean bags mm-hmm. and, and other like sensory. Uh, yeah, sensory pleasing. Sensory pleasing um, equipment. Yeah, and, uh, stim tools. Stim toys, tools. Yeah. yeah, and then you also had you had speech therapy for a while. You had. Uh, uh, AT therapy. Uh, yeah, I remember um, her too. And uh, <laughs> a couple other people. So it was, um, I mean, it, it was a lot of, uh, like you had a busy schedule always. Yeah, I do remember and, seeing a lot of people. Yeah. Um, 
And I kind of feel like some of it... So in my case, there's another thing I want to add. Uh, in my case, as far as like all the rehab and stuff, I do feel like there was a sort of like... It was, con- you know, like... A lot of people were there until the insurance ran out, not until uh, their, you know, prognosis yeah. improved. Yeah. So there was, I, I can say clearly there was a, a scam element to it. Mm-hmm. And I never really felt that with the professionals working with you, but I yeah. did not always feel like, I, I was sometimes frustrated, like, is this really what he needs? You know, are yeah. we doing all these things? We're going to all these places. Um, and uh, so that's trying. And again, we're keeping in mind that this was something we could do. We had, yeah. uh, and we could do it, um, like on a private level. There's, there are in, in California, in San Francisco Bay Area, in the Bay Area, there's a lot of surfaces available to people, um, to low-income people. Mm-hmm. But you have to work a lot harder to get them. Um, uh, you know. Yeah. Instead of paying for them, you have to take a lot more bus rides or, or go a little further. And so we did a little bit of both. Uh, we waited in the long lines and we wrote the big uh, checks. And in in the end, I think it was um, it it was worth it as a whole. And I've kind of like come to see this as life. I don't really pick like session per session or like individual per individual or like you know was this therapy as necessary as that one um but i do feel like we didn't know things and i remember uh, and this is kind of th- we looked at the idea of autism because mm-hmm. there were certain um uh, uh sounds i remember specifically um the sound that my mom's car would make if you didn't yes, put I the, remember. If you didn't put your you uh, didn't put seat your seatbelt on, on and before it would make this horrible like yeah I hated that sound I hated it it was sensory overload um, and yeah. then um, but at the time and and you know there you they were like yeah but he's not he's not as opposed to being touched he's not exactly because you know, it had the the there was this stigma that you had to fit, and it still, unfortunately, exists a lot in a lot of cases today, where they they think you have to fit every trait. Right, and I yeah. kind of felt I was like, well, maybe because you know, you have, in Brazil, everybody's very and exactly also and being raised like, in Brazil. I thought had a that might have yeah. done it. And what, what, although it's interesting, because when we were visiting Brazil when you were much older, I remember I took you to get uh, an X-ray. And the woman immediately was like, yeah, I noticed when I touched him that he was like, he kind of tensed up. Uh-huh. And, and so she was aware of something. But that was after. That was that. Was that well, after my diagnosis? That was after your diagnosis. Yeah. And that came about because, so when you, when you and I, when you were kid, a, a, a small child and mm-hmm. I was a young man, uh, we would spend a lot of time riding the, the Muni Railway uh, trolley cars in yes. San Francisco. Yes. We would, uh, uh, so out in our neighbor, and you know this, but I'll tell the, the, the listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, the listeners. We, uh, we lived in an area of San Francisco that um, has a bunch of streetcars. They're not the cable cars that you see in all the commercials and stuff. These are electric, uh, the ones that we 
Road were, were manufactured by Boeing. Now I think they have another company that makes them. But, yeah. you know, they were like uh, light rail. Uh, you know, light most rail, of them, yeah. they would be on the street and then they would descend into tunnels yeah. and become part of the subway. And that mm-hmm. was always very that exciting. That was very fascinating. And they would yeah. also make certain noises. Some of the mm-hmm. tr- the older ones made a noise when the when the um, stairs were folding mm-hmm. that would bother you, but yes, you could deal with it. I could deal with it. I would hold, hold it. Wow, now I remember that. So, uh, 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 years later, I'm reading an article about a guy who would take trains, like as in he would, he would borrow or steal the train. Mm-hmm. He would get into the engineer's booth. He would put on a little, like, you know, a safety vest. And ride around in the, I think it was the New York City mm-hmm. metro, you know, yeah. like the subway. And, um, and they, his mother, who lived like in, this guy was like 40 years old. And his mom lived in North Carolina. And he's like, yeah, she, he has Asperger's mm-hmm. syndrome. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but that sounds a lot like, yeah, it sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, so I get things. like this, you know, they have these 10 question lists and of course when you're looking for it everything is like oh my god oh my god yeah of course oh my god but oh my god so we're like okay how about asperger's and then of course all the people in white coats are like well of course he has asperger's we could have told you that and i'm like Mm -hmm. well you didn't Mm -hmm. you know for years so um so (laughs) so i've always been a little frustrated yeah the medical yeah oh my god i i have Um, my reservations with the medical community yeah but uh but definitely around that it was i mean it was good because once we had this this word and and as you have Mm -hmm. um spoken about on some of your Mm -hmm. other podcasts which i have listened to uh asperger was uh is dr uh, asperger was a kind of shady guy um (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> we don't really want to honor his name. No, we do not really want to honor his name. With anything. Yeah. So we don't use that as much. Uh, spectrum, I think. Yeah, that, autism. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was uh, it. Was it was complicated, and I think it was um, it was good to have the perspective that that there were other parents who had much more difficult. Uh, time situation and I mean support. like yeah. whatever age you are being a parent mm-hmm. is about you know you, you're, you're preparing that child for society yeah um, and uh, it is a society that's not built for a lot of us unfortunately well so. I mean we all have mm-hmm. to find our place in it you know and mm-hmm. and and it's interesting because a lot of the rules and, and I mean I don't know Rules sounds harsh, but like a lot of the lessons I would have, uh, I may have imparted, I might have not <laughs> today, or I might have been like, you know, maybe it's really not going to be like that. But uh, but that's because I have hindsight now. So yeah, um, I mean, I think well, what I was talking about with some other guests recently is that we neurodivergents usually have to carve our own paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in one way, it's unfortunate that, you know, we, we aren't given as much support, but in another way, it kind of makes us more resilient because we have to figure out all these things on our own. And then we do end up building our own systems and our own systems can work really well for us. Um, but it's all about, you know, like when we come to that realization and we're able to build my own systems and like, I feel like 
for myself just in the last few years, well, especially in the last year, um, I have learned even more than I knew before about neurodiversity. You know, the little bit that I did know before, thanks to my therapist, um, I learned so much more about and that also helped in terms of like accommodating myself um, realizing like when I'm overwhelmed, why I'm overwhelmed and what I need, what kind of accommodations I need to ask for and just like understanding myself a lot better and like, oh, this is sensory overload. Oh, this is executive dysfunction. Oh, this is this and that. Um, so yeah, like that's something that I've, and then now that like also that I have a lot more understanding about ADHD and mm -hmm. I've had many guests with ADHD on the podcast, um, I can tell like these things about you as well that that is like, oh, that's that's ADHD. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's yeah. interesting uh -huh. on another um, one kind of like modern thing is that we can all sort of like uh some of us may know more about each other's, uh, you know, traits uh -huh. than, than we do ourselves. Then exactly, you know? exactly. Like, uh -huh. um, and it's interesting. It makes me think a little about my dad again because I think he would have been very open. A lot of people are like, you know, I'm not, you know, there's nothing divergent about me. What are you talking about? He was never like that. He yeah, no, he would have been very open to it. To mm -hmm. understanding some of these things yeah. and it probably could have helped him out. It... it um, Seeing some of the disorganization in his life uh, without having any labels for it or, or names or whatever kind of helped steer me in a different direction. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I, I think if he could have had the opportunity to step back and see what he was doing and how he could do it in a, in a way that was better for him. Uh, he could have benefited from Yeah, that. definitely. But, I think uh, he definitely would have. Because um, he was definitely neurodivergent. Like, we've <laughs> agreed on that for sure. Yeah, I um, don't think there's the, the, the neurotypical grandpa. So, uh, my next question is, um, what was it like getting your diagnosis in, the late, in your late 40s? So, it was interesting because... I, um, the, so first of all, I went to get a test, you know, I went to do like all sorts of putting together blocks and answering questions and stuff. And, uh, it was it, it, during the, you know, one of the higher points of the pandemic. So we, I had to wear a mask mm -hmm. and we were wearing gloves mm -hmm. and the, the doctor yeah, was, was early on glove. during the gloves period. It was, well, this was like, no, we, there was glove period. Then there was no gloves. Then the gloves were back just mm -hmm. during this particular scene. Okay. She would spray things yeah. and still got COVID like a little while later. But anyhow, <laughs> okay. um, it was... It's funny because uh, I did really well on the test. Um, she said, I definitely have the traits, but I have to go talk to somebody else to like really deal with it. And I'm like, you're kidding me. And so she gave me a bunch of references, references and they were all like, you know, not available or whatever. 
So it's kind of like useless information on mm. one level. I mean, it's like, it's funny, actually, now that I think about it, we tried so hard to get you some kind of label, uh-huh. you know, to put on your divergent characteristics. Brain, yes. And now I've got this label, mm-hmm. basically, but so what? You know, it doesn't really, I mean, well, it's, it, the, the label mm-hmm. itself, let me, let me put this in another light. The label itself isn't as important. Yeah, I because, can understand. Because uh, now, you know... Because uh, uh, I could have it and do nothing, and the, and the mm-hmm. situation wouldn't change at all. Um, but, but having this information, I can now, you know, um, look to... And I found someone else that I work with, uh, you know, who has this knowledge and, and who kind of figured it out pretty quickly mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so it's, it, it can be... Um, it's, it's sort of like a, uh, it's, it's helpful. Yeah. You know? It's it can helpful, be helpful to know that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's, it's good. And I mean, it, it's kind of like at this point it's, it, 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 it's, it's nice, but it's also sort of, you know, yeah, it would have been nicer if you had it earlier, well, probably. It, 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 I mean, it would have been worse if I had it earlier because of the social stigma. Yeah, that's and true. The, that's the true. Lack of resources. That's true. So in that sense, it would have. Been that could be true great. for me too. That so, could have been true yeah. for a lot of things, uh-huh. and it was for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it's it's. I mean, it's good in the sense that, like, yeah, I can I can take care of some things and. On the other hand, having a diagnosis doesn't, like I said, it doesn't necessarily resolve anything. It just gives you tools, the tools yeah. to resolve it, the the, exactly. the the map, exactly. You know the the, yeah. the notes. So, but it's good. It's better than mm-hmm. that. Sure. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, it gives you the tools of like how to work with your brain, because then you understand, or at least for me, like. I can understand now that a lot of these things about me are related to the wiring of my brain. Mm-hmm. And so now I have tools that I'm able to to gather that I know that, you know, like testing them out, figuring out which ones work and which ones don't. And then, you know, now I know I have like a little toolkit that, okay, if I'm feeling this, I can do this. If I'm feeling that, I can do that. And you know, this has been um, helpful in that way. Um, so my last two questions for you today are, okay. um, unless, you know, we could just keep going. I <laughs> Well, let's, okay. let's hear the question. All right. Um, so uh, first I wanted to ask you, what was the most challenging part of this whole neurodistinct journey for you? For me? Yeah. I think there's a point where, and I think this kind of ties into what I was saying before mm-hmm. about like the, the diagnosis in and of itself isn't that helpful, is that you can get to a point where like something's happening, like you're, you're I, I can't find my keys again, mm-hmm. you know, I'm reciting the lyrics to some jet song that I heard mm-hmm. once in 1987, but do not know where my keys are, and... I know it's because I've been focusing on this other thing or because, you know, this wire connects to that wire and these things. And it just doesn't help. 
You know, it's like um, it doesn't matter think... that 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 everybody else works one way and I don't. At that time, I just want to you know not have whatever trait is. Dis- I think I'll have me. like certain thing times like with with executive dysfunction and stuff. Like when I have those moments when I know that it's like related to my neurodivergence, I used to get very frustrated at myself and then lately just really within the last year maybe even just more the last few months i've been transitioning to just um being kinder to myself in those moments Mm -hmm. because like you know i'll get i know that it's just like if i get frustrated with myself it won't help and it will just get stressed out. So, and it doesn't always happen. It's like easier said than done. But then, like certain moments, I felt that I've been able to stop myself and catch myself and just realize, you know what, I'm doing that because that's just the wiring of my brain, and you know I can't control it, and and that's that. Um, I yeah, I should throw in <laughs> one of the things um, more recently in my life. Um, I've had, you know, I have uh, your little My sister. Little half uh, sister. Yes, yeah. uh, four years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's a very intense yeah. situation on a lot of levels, having another child. Um, I don't think she is neurodivergent, particularly. She's definitely hyperactive, though. She's very yeah. hyper. She's got a lot of energy. Yeah. And. Um, you know, I'm getting older, so I don't. I still have a lot mm-hmm. of energy, but I don't know how much longer that's going to mm-hmm. be the case, physically. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's all the emotional stress that comes with dealing with, with yeah. young people. But uh, <laughs> well, at, <laughs> uh, but, at least yeah. <laughs> but the point I bring up that for is because it's just an extra set of challenges. You know, it's like I have to bring when I travel with her. I have to make sure I have most of her stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Um, being a neurodivergent parent can be adds a, it just adds yeah. a level because mm-hmm. it's like if I mess up something, if I forget something, if I yeah. do whatever, mm-hmm. that is uh, that is on me, and I can you know, and I, I have the tools and whatever to to work with that. It's a little trickier to have, and it's it's interesting because. Um, again, neurodivergence wasn't really a question. Um, and in our family, it was always focused on you. So mm-hmm. nobody would like, you know, your mom and oh, I yeah. and your sister mm-hmm. all can talk about our neurodivergent traits now. Um, and it's, it's not that we didn't have them. It's just that we weren't focusing. Yeah. On them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I've, uh, I was just going to say, like, um, I think there's been, like, I've seen, you know, how I'm just, I I guess something that I was talking to Susanna about, because it was just interesting when you were talking about, um, you know, uh, my half-sister Rainbow and, you know, parenting with, um, you know, while neurodivergent with a neurotypical partner, um, in your case, um, <laughs> well, I don't know, we can discuss that another time, but, uh, yeah. it's like, or well, with someone neurotypical that didn't, child, with a sure. neurotypical that's child the, and the with a partner that, 
um, has not did not have a lot of understanding of neurodivergence until recently. Yes. Um, it can be challenging, and Susanna was you know talking that you know saying how she's kind of in a similar situation um, with a neurotypical partner and two small kids, um, yeah. and you know that a lot of it like she's had to have a lot of conversations with her husband Cedric about you know, like, just her brain and, you know, how, you know, certain things that are gonna upset her no matter what, certain things that he could say in a different way and mm -hmm. it might be better and just, like, all kinds of things, um, you know, just under about understanding each other and their different neurotypes and how to work together. Um, that's been really important for her, so... Um, just kind of thought about that a little bit. I figured I'd mention it. Uh, so my li my final question uh, mm -hmm. is um, similar to the last one. What is what what has been the most gratifying part of this whole journey for you? I guess it's definitely a relief and a comfort to not have questions. It's not always a comfort, but it's a relief yeah. to not have questions, to um, really uh, just sort of put things, you know, like, like uh, the great mystery is resolved and you can move on to something else. And you now yeah. have like tools and, and uh, um, you have tools to, to, you know, help you when things are com complicated or, yeah. or confusing. Um, that's been for me. Now, I'd say uh, for you, it's more exciting because I'd, you know, seeing you get um, motivated mm -hmm. to, to uh, you know, kind of move the needle to yeah. get your voice out there to, to um in a way, make a stand. Yeah. Uh, that's really exciting. I mean, obviously, uh, it's wonderful that you can walk and play basketball and speak and, and I've also been given things. support um, and, you know, been fortunate to have, like, support and accommodations to, to achieve those things, you know. I do think that uh, I will, again, put it, give it up for the Bay Area. San Francisco yeah. Bay Area. I mm -hmm. do think this is a place where there's not only acceptance of neurodivergence, but uh, a community, you know? Um, yeah. A place to sort of thrive. Mm -hmm. uh, not just be accepted, um, but, you know, be But actually, to... yeah, like have people accommodate, like actually properly accommodate, like make the environment. Um, more accommodating for the neurodivergent person instead of expecting the neurodivergent person to fit the environment or even you know just you know you know just making you know like making small accommodations whereas i i feel like that's what happens in a lot of places whereas here not not everywhere here but in a lot of places here there's more effort to like on a general larger scale to make accommodations for narrow distinct people even though everyone will have their own individual needs it's you know it's always nice to 
Well, I think it's because you know, there's so many people with neurodistinct yeah. needs uh, yeah. that they're... And know. it's being more discussed and, um, yeah. yeah, more talked about and identified now. Um, yeah, so anyways, like, this has been, this has been great. Thank you for finally thank you coming so on. Much. Yes, yeah. episode 50. It's, this, uh, it's fantastic. Congratulations yes, thank on you. that. In English, right? In so English. 15. I have 15 in Portuguese now. 15? Yeah. Wow. It's, wow. Yeah. It's, Congratulations. Uh, thank That's you. It's, Maybe it's we'll good, do one man. in Portuguese. We should. We will. We should. Awesome. Um, Yes, explicando neurodiversidade, if I have any isso Portuguese, é isso aí. if I have any Portuguese speaking uh, listeners, then yes, feel free to check that out. All right, thank you everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next time.